Welcome to Extraordinary People, a podcast series from UK Healthcare. The stories you'll hear are from patients who've overcome the most challenging moments of their lives, and our providers who've helped thousands of patients navigate those moments. Welcome to UK Healthcare's Extraordinary People podcast. You're about to listen to an interview with Dr. David Dornboss, a surgeon who specializes in cerebrovascular and endovascular neurosurgery. Dr. Dornboss helped Tiona Stevenson, a young mother, determine and address the rare complication that caused her to have multiple seizures over the course of two years. Since her surgery, Tiona has been seizure-free and able to devote more time and energy to her family. If you'd like to experience more of Tiona's story, click the link in the description. Here's Dr. Dornboss. And, uh, but she had this AVM that she was about for years. She'd been going to different hospitals, getting taken care of there for seizures. Um, and uh, they, I don't know all the ins and outs of what they discussed with her, um, but they basically told her they, they couldn't touch it. There's nothing they could do about it, nothing they could do to, to treat it. Um, but they were working to control her seizures as best they could with medications. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't really working. She was still having seizures despite the medications. Um, so when I met her, it was after she had a seizure at home. Um, her, her boyfriend brought her in after uh, she had a seizure at home. And we looked at the pictures, looked at what she already, had already done before, and then started talking to her about how we, uh, at least I was pretty, pretty confident that we could take care of this for her. Um, it, uh, so when we first met, it, uh, we, we're, we're protecting her against a, a lifetime risk. There's no immediate urgency to go rush off to the OR or anything like that. So we had a kind of a long conversation about different ways we could treat it. Needed to get some other pictures before we could really decide what was best for her. Um, and then uh, saw her in, in the outpatient clinic to kind of start getting that workup taken care of. But we ended up doing a, an MRI. Uh, we did a special MRI where we could actually look at the exact parts of the brain that control strength. Because for her, the highest risk piece of her AVM from the surgery or from the operation standpoint is her AVM was a couple millimeters away from the part of the brain that controls her strength. So that's, if you're even going to a little bit consider surgery, you got to make sure that you can protect that. So we got a special MRI called a functional MRI, and it can tell us exactly which neurons in the brain control the strength on the opposite side of the body. Um, so that was, that was something we definitely took care of ahead of time just to help better figure out how best to help her. Um, and we also did this thing called diagnostic angiogram where we put a catheter into the artery of the wrist, track it up, and we shoot the eye and take pictures while the eye goes through. And it gives us some um, three-dimensional, even actually some four-dimensional pictures of the AVM so we can really figure out how it's all put together so we can figure out how to take it apart um, and, and get it out. So it, uh, that's, we ended up doing all that for her. And then after, after looking at all the different options and talking to her in clinic, um, uh, we realized that we could take this thing out safely. Uh, and it, uh, I mean, all surgery has risk, but an AVM in, a, in somebody of her age has around a 70 to 80% risk of rupturing and causing a life-threatening, very severe hemorrhage into the brain over the course of her lifetime. It's largely due to her age um, being so young. She has a lot of long time, of, a, lot, a lot of life left to live that we got to protect. Um, so we realized that we could take care of that safely for her. And we talked through kind of the different options. Um, and for her, we ended up taking her, uh, we did a staged treatment. So we did two different procedures to get this thing taken care of. Uh, we brought her in, uh, <clears throat> we 
did we, we ended up doing a, a glue procedure. We went in with catheters through the artery and the wrist, and we got a small little microcatheter right up into it, and we killed off a, a big portion of the AVM by distilling it up with glue to kind of start sealing it off so there's not as much blood flow going through it. Um, and it's really, that's largely to make the surgery safer, uh, easier on me, safer on her. Um, and then a couple of days after we did that glue procedure, we took her to the OR and then uh, it's, dude, they're long surgeries, but as long as you're meticulous, you go around them, uh, kind of just piece by piece and just slowly work your way around it. It's, uh, they, the surgery for them is, it can be done pretty, pretty safely. Um, it, uh, her surgery ended up being about an eight or nine hour ordeal before we were done, but it really went, went great. Got the entire thing out. Um, and then she was, she was only in the hospital for like a day or two after and she was already getting out of there. So it, uh, yeah, she did, she did phenomenal. Is it fairly common that, like you said, she was told that there was really nothing they could do? Is it just something that, you know, depending on where you're, what area you're at or who, what, what physician you might visit, they just go, Ooh, that's, oh no. Yeah, they they are scary lesions. It uh, and I think that's that's something you run into, especially at places that don't deal with them all that often, because they are relatively rare. It uh, they they're they're not like strokes. They're not like aneurysms. They're quite a bit more infrequent, um, and they are they're they're big. Like you see an aneurysm, it's actually it's relatively small. You see an AVM, it's a good sized lesion, an MRI. But there's a lot of blood flow that goes through it. So they are. If you don't have a lot of experience dealing with these things, a lot of people are much more hesitant to do anything to them. They tend to just kind of conservatively box them. Um, and for the right people, that's that is the right answer. It's just to conservatively watch it and not touch it. Uh, but for somebody of her age, as young as she is, and the fact that it was also symptomatic, it was causing her to have these kind of recurrent seizures. Uh, it was one of these things. It's you're you're not just protecting. Her, you're also protecting her, her family. Uh, they, they, she has a lot of years left to live. She's a lot of people to take care of, and, and keeping her as functional as possible and avoiding a, a, a big hemorrhage like she potentially could have, could have had um, is, is important. Yeah, not just for her, but for everybody else kind of in, her, in her orbit. What was her reaction to someone saying, "Hey, I have an idea. We might be able to fix this." Uh, surprised. <laughs> After spending a couple of years of being told that there's nothing that you can do about this, it's uh, hopefully it won't bleed, maybe it'll bleed, nobody knows. Um, and then all of a sudden being told like, hey, we actually have some options here where we could cure this for you so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, it uh, Surprise was definitely part of it. Um, and I think a little bit of, of relief. It, uh, she definitely, once we started talking through the options, and the relative safety versus risk of those options. When she found out that there were options out there that were safe to do with a minimal amount of risk, she was very eager and kind of ready to, to move forward with it. So it, uh, yeah, she, and the other thing that has always, the, thing that, the other thing that with her that's always been remarkable to me is she's very, Brave. Like, it's, uh, like, I was like, yeah, like, she's been told for years that she has this dangerous ticking time bomb in her head that there's nothing we can do. Um, and then we met and talked through options, realized there are things that we, we can do to get this taken care of for you. And she was relieved, excited, but just like, okay, okay, let's, let's do it. So she was, she was very quickly excited to kind of move forward with treatment. Um, it was probably a combination of 
fact that it was much safer, I think, than it had been presented to her before. Um, and the fact that she had been uh, scared like crazy <laughs> uh, from what she had been hearing for the years before we had a chance to meet. Uh, but she was just ready to go. So, yeah, I mean, just from what I know of seizures, I think they're frightening. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Yeah, and she had, she had almost started to accept that as being, uh, this is just what my life is now. Like, I'm just going to have seizures sometimes. Um, <clears throat> and it's uh, that's the other nice part about taking AVMs out is not only do you protect from... Once the avian is out, it's it's cured. There's no real risk of it coming back. There's no real risk of having a big bleed from a similar type of structure. Um, it uh, so from a bleeding standpoint, you're you're almost instantly cured from this thing after the surgery. The nice part for people with seizures is actually it cures seizures in like ninety seven percent of people. So once you get this thing out, you can still have seizures from time to time, but it's very rare. Almost always get cured once you get the avian out. Um, as a surgeon, how complex is the surgery? Which, what are your biggest concerns? Obviously, yeah. you said positionally where where it's at plays a, a pretty serious part of how you do your job, obviously. Yeah, it plays a, a very big role. Um, for these, for AVMs in general, they're one of the more complex surgeries that we do as neurosurgeons. Uh, and it's largely due just to how they're built. So you, with, with an AVM like Tiana's, you have about 40 to 50 different arteries that all kind of feed into this thing. Uh, and then you usually just have one vein that leads out of it. What you have to do is you have to slowly take out each of those different arteries, just cauterize them, cut them, work your way around before you touch the vein. So the vein's the outflow. If you would take that early, the thing would just rupture because all the inflow's there and you turned off the outflow valve. But you just have to kind of slowly take your time and work your way around to get all these arteries and kind of it's just, it's really, it's it's very tedious. Um, whenever families ask me how long the surgery is going to take, I always give them a lovely range of six to 12 hours because you don't know. Uh, it's, it entirely depends on how well the AVM kind of responds to you taking these things out. Uh, but you really just, as long as you go slow and tedious, they're, they're very fun, beautiful, elegant surgeries, uh, but it, uh, they really, it's, it's, it, it does just take time. Um, <clears throat> but after you've done a bunch of these, it really, the surgery becomes very standard. It just has a natural flow to it. You're slowly working your way around it, just kind of taking your time. Um, and people really do quite, quite well with it. From a surgery standpoint, Honestly, the biggest thing I'm trying to do the whole time is leave that vein alone until you get to the very end. So that's really that's 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 how you keep these surgeries safe and keep it from bleeding and keep yourself out of trouble is by just slowly working your way around. Um, and it's honestly just all in the textbook. It uh, <laughs> there's a very kind of standard methodological way of kind of working your way through this thing. As long as you follow that, don't cut any corners. They really come out pretty pretty well. Um, and it, it is actually it's a pretty safe surgery overall. I have a follow-up to that, you know, so Tiona has been going for so long, being told there's nothing to be done. What you just described, you said textbook, it's this, you know, yeah. why is it then that we are the place, that UK Healthcare is the place to do this surgery? Yeah, that's a good question. It, I think a, lar a large part why UK Healthcare is the place to go for these, especially regionally. Is just the volume. It's the number of these that we see, the number of these that we take care of. If uh, when you only deal with one, two AVMs a year, uh, they're, they're going to be scary because they are—they're big surgeries. I mean, it is—it's a textbook thing that you want to get through, but 
it's a big deal. Um, it's they can they, there are surgeries that do carry some significant risk to them, especially if you're if you don't have the experience with them. Um, and that's where we're kind of uniquely positioned is it's we with just the fewer number of the sheer number of patients that come through the sheer number of ABMs that come through if uh, we, we are able to look at the full breadth of them so if uh, when you aren't just seeing a handful of these a year you're seeing 50 60 70 of these a year it's a whole different volume uh, if you get a much better feel on the physician side of which patients will do well with surgery, which patients will do well with the root procedure, which patients will do well with radiation, these other options for these things. Um, if you're only dealing with a handful here and there, it's, it's, it's harder to get that clinical gestalt. When you're dealing with a large volume of patients and you're doing this every single day, it makes it a lot more kind of streamlined. It makes it much easier on me <laughs> from a decision-making standpoint because you just see these so frequently that it's, it's easy to know or I should say easier to know which patients are, are should be treated and, and with which uh, with which modality. Um, that's another nice part about UK UK healthcare and also the, the Department of Neurosurgery within UK healthcare. We're very subspecialized. So within I'm a neurosurgeon, so I take care of I can take care of anything neurosurgical, whether it's brain, spine, trauma, vascular, anything. Um, but we're very sub-specialized. So I only take care of vascular problems. I only take care of patients with ABMs and strokes and aneurysms, carotid disease, and a handful of other things. But that's about it. Um, and then we also, within our vascular group, there's four of us, uh, we all have our own little niche, our own little area that's that's overall relatively rare, but that's the area that we take care of. And for me, that's ABMs. So every ABM that comes to UK Healthcare ends up coming through my clinic and to me. Um, so that way, it's you, you consolidate all the volume for a rare pathology like an ABM to a single person or to a single group of people. Their your ability to your volume is so much higher, and so the, the carrier that we provide is so much greater. Talk to me a little bit about her personally, the outcome and prognosis going forward. Yeah, how she's done since her procedure. Yeah, no, she's she did. Fantastic. I mentioned earlier how brave she was leading into this thing. She was just as like steadfast and stoic like, the whole time through. They get, they get barely faced her. They get the, so we did. She came in for the embolization procedure. That really went off without a hitch. Really no issues at all. Uh, we were able to put a little bit of glue into uh, two main feeders, two main pedicles that kind of led into this thing. Um, it really decreased a lot of the blood flow that was inside of it. Uh, and that, that doesn't cure the ABM. Uh, it does make the surgery easier, makes the surgery safer uh, by decreasing some of the pressure head on the ABM. So when you're actually going in there for the surgery, that the pressure inside that it will flow through it is lessened uh, to an extent that it's just, it makes makes our life easier in the OR. When our life is easier, it's safer uh, for the patient too. Um, but then we did the surgery, and she did fantastic that first day after that first afternoon after surgery she was already wide awake and we were talking to her in the recovery area and she was already making great strides she's doing very well uh just waking up as if nothing has ever happened um and then the next morning she was doing fantastic she was already up walking the halls she was completely back to normal um which uh is a big testament to her um, how strong she is uh, but it also is it's it's always I do these surgeries all the time. It's still amazing to me that we can be operating a couple of millimeters away from the part of the brain that controls your strength 
wake up a couple hours later as if nothing had ever happened. It, uh, she really, that's that's how she was afterwards. It was like nothing had ever happened. She was completely as she was when she went into the surgery, uh, other than the fact she no longer had the interim. What, this glue thing I'm intrigued by, is that old technology, new technology? Is that just something that is part of these kind of procedures? And talk to me a little bit about the development of those kind of tactics, because it yeah. sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, overall relatively new. Um, it, uh, that being said, the the glue, I always say glue, it's actually, it's really liquid plastic. Um, and what happens is it's, it's in the catheter, in the container, it's liquid. The second it comes into contact with blood, it immediately hardens up. Um, so basically get this catheter right out into the ADM, or start putting some of that liquid plastic into there. Second that it comes into contact with blood, it immediately hardens and, and kind of seals that blood vessel off. Um, but it's been around, that that material has been around for years. It's been well over a decade since it's actually been, been in existence. Um, but it's a very nice, very helpful uh, surgical adjunct. So it's just it's another another tool um, in terms of how to how to treat these people, how to treat these ABM patients. And ABM patients, we kind of touched on it a little. There's really four ways to treat them. You can either just watch it conservatively, conservatively manage it, which for the right people is the right thing to do. Um, it just kind of depends on age, other issues that they've going got going on, and just the the amount of flow that's going through the ABM also plays into that as well. Uh, sometimes we do the glue procedure as a standalone. Some people have just the right ABM where you can actually just seal the entire thing off with that glue. Um, some people need surgery, uh, as she did. And then some people, uh, you can actually do a high dose radiation directly on the ABM. And then over time, it'll kind of shrink up and deliver and die on its own. And a lot of people need uh, multimodal treatment. They need multiple different options to kind of help tackle these, these things. And that's why, for, for her, it, uh, we use both the glue and the surgery. Um, and kind of answer one of the earlier questions. Like another, another, another big asset that you can get that you get at UK Healthcare for patients like her is you get folks like myself that are trained in every modality. So you have one person, one individual who's highly subspecialized, trained in a way that, that whatever is best for your ABM, I'll take care of it. Whether it's conservative management, radiation, the glue procedure, or surgery, or some combination of all those, um, I'm, I'm I've been blessed with training to be able to provide all of those options so we can just pick whatever's best for that patient that we're trying to. How important is it, do you think, um, for the fact you mentioned the size and scope of UK and the, and the amount of cases we see, but also we're an academic medical center and we kind of pride ourselves on the idea of multidisciplinary care. Yep. I mean, talk to me a little bit about how you feel about the benefits of that for patient regardless of what you're coming in for. Yeah, yeah, no, that's huge. It Because uh, keep in mind, she came to me for a vascular neurosurgery problem, but she also had seizures at the same time, which is that's not directly within my scope of practice. It's obviously close. <laughs> um, it's not directly within my scope. So having a uh, epileptologist, neurologist that focuses on seizure management uh, directly down the hall for me, where I can just have them focus on getting her seizure under control, all focus on the EBM. Um, having specialists focus on each of the individual problems for one particular patient is massively helpful. Because um, then I don't have, I don't spend a bunch of time trying to get your seizures under control, which is good for me, because my time to focus on the ABM, also good for you, because 
and that are being formally trained in how to control seizures. Um, so having multiple people who can, can really focus on the individual problems and kind of tackle each individual issue is incredibly helpful. This episode of Extraordinary People was brought to you by the UK Healthcare Brand Strategy Team. If you were a patient at UK Healthcare and would like to share your story, please visit ukhealthcare.com stories. We would love to help you tell it. Thank you for listening.